0: Welcome to Coach House Talks. We're governed by time, aren't we? Whether we like it or not, we like to look you know, when that clock's not up there, we go, what time is it? I, I missed the clock up there. I don't know what time it is. I've lost all sense of time. Don't worry, we know what time it is. But we, we like to be governed by our watches, not in the UK, we've all, most of us have got watches on our hands. The younger generation have got the phones and with the time on and everything else. But the older generation, we we like our watches. We like to see what time it is. We like to see where we're up to in the day. And we like to make plans. We split our day into hours. We split the hours into minutes, the minutes into seconds. And our use of time becomes everything to us. Now, I want you to just think about this for a second. Time becomes everything to us. But what is time in the grand scheme of eternity is my question to you today. Because that's what Solomon is trying to get our attention with during his writing of Ecclesiastes. So Solomon brings our thoughts to this very question when he recognises that eternity has been placed in the hearts of mankind. So last time we looked at Ecclesiastes, we saw that we were different from everyone else because God has placed eternity in our hearts. We know there is something of the eternal. All of these references to time under the sun, which we'll get to in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, all the seasons, and experiences, all these cycles of the earth, we are faced with the conclusion that these cycles are unavoidable. They just happen. The march of time that that we have here on earth marches on. It carries on. The seconds tick relentlessly by. The minutes tick relentlessly by. But everything that Solomon's trying to point us to in Ecclesiastes is that actually, he is sovereign over everything. So we've just sung that a minute ago. Now, once upon a time, I really objected to singing that God's sovereign over me because I'd not learned that God loves me and his grace and his mercy covers everything that I do or don't want to do. He is, in fact, sovereign over all things. So let's just read Ecclesiastes chapter three, the first few verses. It says this there is a time for everything, it's headed in my Bible. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Okay, you've got that. A time for every activity under heaven. It's the same as um, under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. A Time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. Time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. So what do people really get for all their hard work? The writer asks. I have seen the burden that God has placed on all of us. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these also are gifts from God. So these verses are perhaps some of the most well-known out of Ecclesiastes. Most people will tell you that they know there's a time for this and a time for that, and they know it comes from Ecclesiastes. We quote them at funerals and on other occasions when we have to uh, convey this sense of season or changes in our life that we experience, there's always a time for something new. And it's not wrong to devote our efforts in that moment to the one thing that consumes our thoughts or our heart. It's okay to do this stuff, but keep it in balance. You see, we will spend our time devoting our attention to things because it's how we're wired. We're actually wired that way. You can't actually stop yourself. Or at least that's how we're wired now since the fall of man. Our priorities are totally different because our priorities since the fall are all about me. They're all about you. They're not about God at all. And that's what you have to bear in mind when you're reading Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Time in this passage has a very defined, quantifiable, and finite quality. It has a beginning and an end. There's a time for this and there's a time for that. For one thing, it's clearly constrained to activity here on earth, under the sun, under the heavens. Okay, So it's talking about our life here on earth. And whilst our writer of Ecclesiastes claims that there is a time for everything, it does not necessarily follow that all people will experience all of those examples. So there's a reason why he's written all of those examples. and It's not because you may or may not taste some of them. What's been set out here is not a balanced life. Okay, it's not saying if you've got all of these things, then your life is in balance, but simply that this is life that we should expect here on earth now that we've abandoned God. It paints a vivid picture of life on earth as we know it and as it was known to them after the fall. This is the life we've chosen, and it is now inevitable. So the activities that we're here, that we have this time for, from the, they form the cycles or inevitabilities of life here on earth. There is time for all of these headings simply because that is the cycle of life that we have chosen for ourselves since abandoning. God and that's really important because otherwise we will misread Ecclesiastes and there's also something else going on here now we are not Hebrew scholars hands up if you're a Hebrew scholar I'm looking at you Steve (laughs) every time you come up here and speak you tell us you are so none of us are really Hebrew scholars would we agree with that so none of us read this with a Hebrew mindset do we we just read the pure English. There's a time for this and there's a time for that. And a in Hebrew, there is a significance to the way that this passage is written. And there are numbers associated with this passage that we don't necessarily see in our English translations or in our English understanding as we read it. In these eight verses where it tells us about time, we have 14 contrasting couplets. So there's, an example, and then an opposite of it, okay? That means there are 28 examples going on here, 14 couplets. Now, 28 is divisible by seven, okay? Four sevens is 28, okay? We're not going to spend too much time on this, but it's important because the Hebrews see this for what it is. Seven is completeness. In other words, there is nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take away from it. Does that make sense? Seven is the number of completeness, as in God rested on the seventh day of creation. Everything was done. Okay, which leaves the four times seven, and four to the Hebrews talks about the earth. So when we read our creation account, what we read is that on the fourth day, the earth was completed and ready for man's inhabitation. Okay, so it signifies earth. So four is earth, and seven is completeness. So we're talking about these time cycles being the completeness of everything on earth, okay? So we read that throughout Ecclesiastes that we're talking about things under the sun, but here in this particular passage, the Hebrews would understand it and see that this is about what's going on on earth. Does that make sense? We, is that okay? I'm going to leave that there, otherwise we'll get uh, ourselves all tied up. So time here under the sun, or under the heaven, as verse 1 puts it, reflects entirely our existence on earth, with all of its ups and downs. We have good times, we have bad times, and there is nothing that we can do to stop the march of time or the inevitability of these cycles. We are powerless to change them under our own devices. That's why Solomon keeps saying they're meaningless. Because he doesn't mean that they're without meaning, he just means... I can't grasp it, it's a vapor, it's a mist, it's a steam. I can't change it, it's happening and there's nothing I can do to change it. Life is meaningless without God. And this is helpful for us to understand because it allows us to view things from a much larger perspective. And in fact, I would say that Solomon is right in Ecclesiastes to make you see and understand that life itself is pretty pointless without God. That's the entire premise of the book. He will use all of his earthly understanding, all of his earthly wisdom to come to the same conclusion that he knows anyway, that God is sovereign and above all. We're obsessed with time. And perhaps it's because we view it, as Solomon is also doing, as being finite. It has a start and it has an end. It has a beginning and an end, and that's it. Anything that's in the middle of that is just life. It's just what happens to us. Life is captured between these two points a time to be born and a time to die. Oh, by the way, there's nothing that happens to you before you're born, okay? You don't. So anyone that thinks we come from a rabbit and then come back as a human being, and then when we die, we come back as something else. There is nothing before you being born. You are born into this life, but what Solomon is pointing to is what you're going to do after this life because there's an eternity to come, okay? But don't think there's anything before that. You were born, and in this earthly cycle, you were born, and then there is a time to die. So surely this raises the question, there must be more to life than just this, that's what Solomon is driving at. He's bending all of his wisdom and all of his thinking to this single question. There must be more to life than this. So Ecclesiastes chapter one and verse 13 tells us that he devoted himself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything that's been done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Now, that sounds awful, doesn't it? You read that, you're reading that in your Bibles, by the way, that God has dealt us humans a terrible, tragic existence. So we need to explore that a bit, don't we? We need to know what that is. So what is this tragic existence that God has dealt upon us humans? Well, the fall of man due to sin, which we read about in Genesis 3, I think offers the perfect explanation to this. So let's read Genesis chapter 3. So you will all know these verses very, very well if you know your Bibles. Genesis chapter 3 concerns the fall of man. He's been mated in this beautiful creation. Here's the account of what happens to him after he's fallen. He's eaten from the tree that he's been told not to. And God comes to the man and says this, and to the man, he says, since you've listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. And by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. Okay, So this is God talking to man directly. And now he's saying, because of this fall, because of this disobedience, you're not now going to live forever on this earth. It's finished. It's a finite time has been placed upon it. And the cycles of life are now starting to run its course. Further on, it goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 22, then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, he says, talking to the Trinity, Knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he'd been made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. No more could mankind return to this tree, eat from it and have everlasting life on earth. So we were now destined to die. That tells me that we weren't destined to die before that point, okay? But because of disobedience, that's what we've been destined for in life. And Solomon, as he puts all his wisdom into this, comes to the same conclusion. This tragic existence is in order that Every one of us can raise the same question. There must be more to life than this. Now, who hasn't asked themselves that question at some point in their life? Go on, be honest. Anyone? So we've all asked. You've never asked that question. Well, you should have kept your hand down then. (laughs) You see, because most people do, don't they? It's something that assails us in life. And our first response is, blimey, what's going on? And generally, it's followed by, there must be more to life than this. This is such a grind. Everything, every obstacle we come against, it's just a grind going through life, isn't it? You know, this is what Solomon's telling us. So we realize that there has to be more to life than this. But we also then realize that man has laid aside his pursuit of God for the pursuit of his own pleasures. Because that's tragically what we've done. That's what Adam and Eve did. They could have lived a perfect existence with God, but they chose themselves. They chose their own wisdom, they chose their own understanding, and they disobeyed. So we've laid it aside in order to pursue our own desires, not being content to live with God's authority over us and his safekeeping, and his safeguarding, and his love, and his mercy we chose to go it alone. We chose to lay all that aside. And when we lay aside God and we step outside of his covenants of love and provision, we are left to make sense of life and the time we have on earth ourselves. We live in a state of tension that we can sometimes struggle to make sense of. Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs show us what our eyes see may differ from the promises of God that our ears have heard. Okay, let me try and put that into some kind of way that you might understand that. A joke relates to the story of a man who rushes into the emergency room of a hospital, supposed to be like that, I think, and says, I need help right away. I need to see a doctor who is an expert in eye problems and ear problems immediately. Good job he's not in Romania. The admitting nurse explains that doctors specialise in either ears or they specialise in the eyes, but we don't have any doctors that actually specialise in both eyes and ears. Why is this so important that you find somebody who's a specialist in both, asks the nurse? And the man replies, because the things I see with my eyes are so different from the things that I keep hearing with my ears. I know, therefore, that there must be something seriously wrong with me. Okay, and I think we can probably equate to that a little bit. We get told lots of different things, don't we? But our eyes are seeing something completely different. I could put that into what we see on BBC News right now. See, you get it, okay? If we don't want to acknowledge God, then our thinking and our human wisdom is dictated by the things that we see and the things that we hear. Ecclesiastes points out to us that what we see and hear doesn't satisfy our heart's desire to justify our existence. We're just not happy with it. It doesn't make sense for us. Ecclesiastes chapter three fourteen. And I know that God, whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before and will happen in the future. It's happened before because God makes the same things happen over and over again. Now, there's one thing that you'll see when you read Scripture is that if God's trying to get your attention, he doesn't just mention it once and pass it by. He'll say it once and then he'll say it again and then he'll say it again. He repeats it. And in fact, the Bible repeats the same things, the same cycles over and over again. Man chooses God, God blesses. Man rejects God. Man has problems. What does he do? He reaches out for a saviour or a rescuer. And God, in his mercy, goes, okay, I'll send you a rescuer. Either a king or a judge or a prophet. Sends them that. They put their lives right, but they don't do it all all the time. they? They don't always put everything right. And they keep a little bit of the stuff they like. And then they get drawn more and more to that. And then the cycle starts all over again. And we have these continual cycles throughout Scripture. Until Jesus comes to fulfill the ultimate rescue. And there's the important bit. Everything in the Old Testament, all those cycles are pointing to the fact that God is eventually going to rescue his people. He is going to fulfill his promises. But there are time after time after time after time after time where we see the same thing happening over and over again. And they teach us that we cannot control time All the cycles of life as they fall ultimately under God's command and control. They teach us that God is sovereign, as we've sung, and that outside of God, life makes little sense. It is tragic to think only of this life. Now, let me try and illustrate this. I've used this illustration before, and I'm going to finish with this because I think it paints the whole picture. If you've ever done, hands up if you've done tug of war. Now, we've done tug of Friday Night Takeaway and we used to have a rope and I was hoping to bring the rope here, but we chucked it out ages ago. So if you've seen a tug-of-war rope, you know that it's got this kind of tethered bit on the end, this little leather, leather bit that kind of ties everything together. So I want you to look at this rope, okay? And I want you to think about your life in terms of just that little bit of leather. Okay, there's your 100 years if you're lucky, Okay? From zero to 100. That's your time on Earth. That's it. But the rest of the rope, which fades out, goes to eternity. It just goes on and on and on and on. There is no ending to it. Now I want you to think about what the things you value in your life are compared to what comes after forever and ever and ever. Because what the Bible is telling you all the time is, think about your creator. Think about what comes after this life. And Solomon, in all of his writing, all the things that he's doing, his conclusions all the way through, and he doesn't just do it at the end of chapter 12 or in the middle of chapter 12. He does it throughout. It's interspersed throughout. That actually his conclusion is, without God, everything does not make sense. And you can try as you might to make sense of your life, but without God in the equation, it does not or it will not make any sense to you. Because our life is this finite bit. And we have to ask the question, what are we going to do when the finite bit finishes? When our life on this earth finishes, what then? What comes after it? Because there are two eternities. One is with God and one is without God. And so we don't just drift into nothingness. We don't get to the end of our life and, hey, that's it. We just, well, some people think that they come back as a rabbit or whatever. Our life ends. But there is an eternity, the Bible says, which goes on for eternity. It never ends. Life without ending. So the big question is what are you going to do about that? And the only time you can make a choice about what goes on here is here. That's what Solomon's telling you. Every, everything in life points to is meaningless without God. Only God in the equation makes sense of life and what we're here for because we're here to worship God for eternity. So make sure that you make the right choices in the finite space of life that you have because everything you see in that points to and tells you that God is real and that work and He's loving you with grace and mercy and providing everything for you to make sense of the rest of your eternity. But it only makes sense when we accept the rescuer that God has provided in Jesus. And there's Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. Okay? It's all about choices. For eternity and putting or well, seeing what we do in this life into the perspective that it needs. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.coachhousechurch.org.